With the increase of terrorism, we've seen just how evil the evil of the world really is. I thank God that no doubt Jesus will soon intervene in this world with his second coming. Our sinless, benevolent Lord will rule righteously for a thousand years. And what a relief his government will bring from the corrupt politicians and warlords. In the meantime, we must let our light shine in the darkness because 2 Timothy 3.13 warns that evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Increasingly, our mandate is to be light in darkness. The Jerusalem Channel is made with the support of you, our viewers. Thank you for watching. Hello, I'm Christine Darg. End Time Prophecy contains both darkness and light. Consider the dichotomy of light and darkness in Isaiah 60, which declares, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. So while the world is being covered with gross darkness, the Lord's light is arising and shining brighter and brighter. The lines have been drawn. There are no gray areas. Truth is truth and lies are lies. This is to be our greatest hour to shine. The modern state of Israel was prepared by Britain's Balfour Declaration in 1917, also by the post-World War I Allied Supreme Council that met in San Remo, Italy in 1920, and by the United Nations Partition Plan in 1947, establishing two separate states, Jewish and Arab. But today the concern is that people who support Israel are lessening, even within the evangelical camp. Why? And why are so many people silent after the October 7th sadistic massacre in Israel by Hamas? Feminists and women's groups are silent about the horrific gang rapes of women during the massacre. How could Israel's victims somehow become viewed as the perpetrators and Israel be called the war criminals? Well, the answer is found in the book of Zechariah. In the end times, which we are rapidly approaching, the entire world will turn against Israel. So says Zechariah 12.3. On that day, Jerusalem will become a burdensome stone for all people, and all who burden themselves with it will be cut in pieces, though all the peoples of the earth be gathered together against it. Of course, this doesn't mean that every person will oppose Israel and the Jews, but world governments will be adamant against Jerusalem. It's trending that way now. And you and I know the Bible must be our light in this present darkness. Well, in the deep winter, the Jewish people celebrate Hanukkah, the festival of light. And remember that Jesus exhorted us in Matthew chapter 5, you are the light of the world. 
So let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I was so blessed by the testimony of a Filipino hostage who was released by the Hamas terrorists in a prisoner exchange with Israel. This Filipino young man lives in Israel as a caregiver. And I believe God loves the Filipino people who sacrificially serve many nations far from their homes, from their children and their loved ones. Many of these caregivers are believers. Well, this Filipino's elderly employer was murdered before his eyes by Hamas before he was taken captive. And while incarcerated in the tunnels of Gaza, he said he had to eat moistened toilet paper to fill his stomach because he was only given a piece of pita bread a day for food. When he was released, he let his light shine before men by kneeling down and giving glory to the Lord for being able to see once again the light of day after being held 50 days in the dark tunnels beneath Gaza. These Filipino believers in many places around the world do speak about their faith. It's similar to circumstances in the Bible in the book of 2 Kings, when a servant girl of the Syrian general Naaman informed him about the God of Israel and the prophet Elisha, who could heal him of leprosy. Now we are the people of light in our generation, and we, as God's servants, must tell people how to find Jesus, salvation, healing, and deliverance. Daniel 12.3 is one of my very favorite verses, declaring that those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. What a privilege it is to be the Lord's light bearers. No matter what you may think about the brand of Christianity of Mother Teresa of Calcutta, she said the Lord told her to go and be my light. Generally speaking, that's a beautiful mandate. We believers are the Lord's light in this darkening world. Now, the winter solstice at the time of Hanukkah marks the halfway point, the midnight, darkest portion of the year. When churchmen in Jerusalem should be honoring the light of the gospel, instead they bowed to the rage of jihadists and canceled Christmas this year. They said there'll be no Christmas in Bethlehem. One bishop had the audacity to say there's no point to celebrate. No point? How about the point that this world has a Savior and he was born in Bethlehem? How about the fact that Jesus is coming a second time to put an end to all wars. Well, I know some of you may approve the counseling of Christmas because to you it's just a pagan holiday. But in our ministry's evangelistic outreaches, Christmas is one of the times when we can show love to unsaved family members and invite people to an event and give them the gospel. So let's be all things to all people, as Paul said, in order to win some. And of course, let's not forget that many Bible scholars say it's very likely that Jesus was born during the Feast of Tabernacles, which means nine months earlier, the light of the world was conceived during Hanukkah, the Feast of Dedication, the Festival of Light, which often coincides on the calendar with Christmas. In fact, one of the leaders of my congregation in Jerusalem, Christ Church, 
said Christmas is a Jewish holiday because it was likely that Jesus was conceived December 25th. Well, the majority of the population of world Jews still lives in the USA. So did you ever wonder what would happen to make American Jews want to come home to Israel? Well, now we know. The October 7 massacre by Hamas terrorists has demonstrated to the world beyond a shadow of doubt that real evil exists and God's intractable enemies are showing themselves more openly and much more aggressively. Israel's house was invaded and the massacre became Israel's 9-11, Israel's darkest hour since the Nazi Holocaust. They were attacked on Simchat Torah, a sacred holiday that celebrates this Bible. Holocaust survivors were gunned down and whole families were killed and burned. Women were raped and murdered in cold blood. Over 200 vehicles had to be buried because the charred bodies of victims were melted into the cars. There are even more sadistic details too horrific to mention. The invasion was not just about territory, it was about global terrorism, and the government of Iran was the architect. So you see, when madmen vowed to destroy the Jews, we'd better take heed and believe them. But now at least the Jews are able to fight back. And the abhorrent resurgence of anti-Semitism is pushing an estimated one million new Jewish immigrants to want to come home to Israel. In days to come, a million new Jewish immigrants would be a significant move forward concerning the prophesied regathering of the Jewish people in the last days. This turn of events, sending the Jews home, is a perfect example of what Satan intended for evil, God can use for good. I call this the Genesis 50-20 principle, quoting the patriarch Joseph. He said to his brothers who had rejected him, You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, that many people should be kept alive during famine. So Israel is being perfected at this time as her national redemption draws nearer. In America, there are reportedly an 81% surge in the number of Jews considering making Aliyah to Israel. In France, the increase in interest among Jews to immigrate to Israel is even more spectacular at 149%. During World War II, the Jews were disarmed and helpless. But today, Israel is the only place where Jewish people have a refuge in this world and arms. There are 55 Muslim-majority nations, but just one Jewish state. Haaretz is a common way in Hebrew to refer to the land of Israel, and Haaretz simply means the land. You see, Israel is not just any land. It is, in God's eyes, the land. A well-known anti-Semite posted on Facebook a photo of a coin minted in 1927 with the word Palestine. He said the coin is proof that Palestine is older than Israel. But he ignorantly overlooked that on the same coin were the Hebrew initials for Haaretz, the land of Israel. We all know Palestine was a name imposed on the land of Israel by the Romans to taunt the Jews. Yet it's the land that God promised as an 
everlasting possession to Abraham and his descendants in Genesis 17.8. God's promise concerning possession of the land was repeated to Abraham's son of promise, Isaac, in Genesis 26.3. And God's promise concerning ownership of the land was repeated to Isaac's son, Jacob, in Genesis 28.13. Furthermore, in Ezekiel 39.27, God promised that Israel's regathering back to the land in the last days will be his time of sanctification. So Israel is not just any land, and the powers of darkness know it and covet the pastures of God. As Psalm 83 explains in verse 4, Israel's neighbors are confederate, saying, Come, let us cut them off from being a nation that the name of Israel may be remembered no more. So let's continue to pray and to shine God's light on all of these biblical truths. Many years ago, I experienced an epic dream that has defined my life. And in the dream, I was standing on Mount Zion, and I saw all the nations turning against Israel with their fists raised. And I heard the voice of God say that I must stand with Israel when all the nations of the world turn against Israel, as prophesied. That doesn't mean that God wants me to blindly sanction everything Israel does. But he wants us to stand in solidarity with Israel for her right to exist as a nation in her own land. So let's ask God to strengthen us to be vessels of his light in this present darkness. Paul warned in 2 Timothy 3, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to their parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control. They'll be brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And from such people, Paul said, turn away. Now, when he said, know this, Paul was being very emphatic that in the last days, perilous, terrible times will come. Bible teacher Derek Prince taught us that the Greek word translated perilous only occurs one other place in the New Testament. And it's used to describe two demon-possessed men whom Jesus delivered and healed on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. Those demon-crazed men were described in the New Testament as exceedingly fierce. So this same word is translated as perilous in 2 Timothy 3. Scripture is telling us that in the last days that perilous, fierce times will come due to the deterioration of ethics and morals. This fierceness was manifested in the October 7th Hamas massacres. The terrorists were as fierce as wild beasts. The Nazis tried to cover up their crimes, but the Hamas terrorists gleefully gloated and publicized their sadism to the world. So in 2 Timothy 3, Paul minced no words when he prophesied a culture in which people would love themselves and money and be proud, blasphemous, slanderers, and brutal, and so forth. Those signs of the times are abounding. 
There's brutality such as we've seen with Hamas, truce breakers, and on top of that, a lukewarm church that demonstrates no power or purity. So you see, the Bible is a book about the last days, and I believe the world is headed towards the time of the severest testing that humanity has ever experienced. In fact, the Bible calls it Jacob's trouble in Jeremiah 30, verse 7. But he, Jacob, Israel, will be saved out of it. Hallelujah. The good news is that in the midst of all the darkness, there will be light. In fact, in the prophetic book of Joel in the Hebrew Bible, God promised to pour out his spirit on all flesh in the last days through prophecy, dreams, and visions. Deliverance and salvation will be evident amongst his people so we can face the future without fear. But nevertheless, Jesus warned us to beware of deception. One of the most devilish doctrines that's presently going around, and it's a form of replacement theology, is that today's Jews in Israel are not the same Jewish people of the Bible. Have you heard that lie? Well, it's a new insidious libel against the Jews in Israel. Yet DNA experts say the Jews of today are descended from the Jews of the past. Satan just keeps concocting lies and schemes to try to remove the legitimate status of Israel. The other day, I heard a Messianic believer say that Jesus wasn't a Catholic priest from Rome, he wasn't a Baptist preacher from Texas, nor was he an Anglican clergyman from the UK. He was Yeshua, a Jewish Israeli rabbi. And that's not a minor detail. Acknowledging the Jewishness of Jesus will significantly impact your theology and understanding of this Bible. Dr. Michael Brown, a Messianic author and radio host, recently said, When you tell me that God is finished with the Jewish people as a people and that no national promises remain for them, I call that theological anti-Semitism. Well said. We have to understand why God sovereignly chose the Jewish people. Deuteronomy 10.15 explains that the Lord delighted in the Jewish patriarchs to love them, and he chose their descendants above all peoples as it is to this day. God's choice has also made them targets of Satan's hatred. There's a line in Fiddler on the Roof when Tevye, the milkman, says to God, I know we are your chosen people, but once in a while, can't you choose someone else? Well, I'd like to give some biblical reasons why God chose the Jewish people. First of all, God loved the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Joseph, Ephraim, and other Jewish heroes like King David. And he made promises to them out of his deep love. Secondly, God needed a conduit, a nation through whom to show his praises and proclaim his existence. And thirdly, he needed a consecrated nation through whom he could send the Messiah, the Savior, into the world. It was through Abraham's descendants that the Messiah entered this world. In fact, in John 4.22, Jesus explained that salvation proceeds from or through the Jews. Fourthly, God needed a nation of priests and scribes to be stewards of his holy word. 
It was through the nation of Israel that God chose to transmit and to preserve his holy scriptures that are a priceless treasure to every believer. Think about this. The Jewish people's careful stewardship of God's word made it possible for you and for me to have a Bible. In fact, the Jewish people had been very meticulous in preserving the Holy Scriptures. I'm therefore very grateful to them. Indeed, God needed a people who would be a repository in which he could place his word, where his Holy Bible would be protected and preserved. And the Jews have done a magnificent job as guardians of the Scriptures. The discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls was the greatest archaeological find of the 20th century. The scrolls predate any other Bible manuscripts by about a thousand years. And the scrolls provided clear evidence of the accuracy of the Hebrew Bible and the care with which the Jewish scribes have preserved it. God also chose Israel. I'll give you a fifth reason because he needed a nation that could demonstrate to the world that he's a faithful covenant-keeping God. He will be faithful to keep his covenant with Israel, despite Israel's past sins. This is because, as the Apostle Paul said, the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. That means God's choice of the Jewish people is permanent and cannot be altered. Furthermore, Romans 11.26 promises, All Israel shall be saved. For God says, This is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. As touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. You see, God is determined to save them. And God will do just that at the second coming of King Messiah, Jesus. God is fulfilling history in the nation of Israel right now by preparing for the kingdom age on earth. All the biblical signs are happening that alert us to the soon return of Jesus. He could come at any moment for his church in the rapture before the great tribulation. My question is, do you know the Lord Jesus so you won't be left behind? I can assure you that Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I will under no condition turn away. Believers stand by the sure promise that history is headed towards the second coming of Jesus. So do you know him? You can connect with the Lord and he will hear your prayer. If you'll just pray a simple prayer in your heart, acknowledging that you are a sinner and that you need the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, as Savior. Just tell the Lord that you want him to come into your life and to save your soul. Such a simple prayer will activate the power of God in your life. When you call upon the Lord in spirit and in truth, you can become a new creation in Christ the Messiah. But Jesus warned in Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. He said, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then he said, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Despite the practice and profession of their faith, these people will actually be strangers to God. 
So the all-important question is whether Jesus truly knows you and me. You may know a lot about God, about religion, spirituality, and yet you may remain unknown by him. So the real question is, do you have an authentic relationship with the Lord? The question is whether Jesus is living in you and you're living in him. As Colossians 1.27 so beautifully declares, Christ in you, the hope of glory. I like this. The Bible teacher Leonard Ravenville once remarked, I don't ask people anymore if they're saved. I look them straight in the eye and ask, does Christ live inside you? Indeed, that's the question. Is he present right now in you this very moment? Are you truly connected with him? Are you drawing life from his life? Jesus was asked in John 6, 28, what must we do to be doing the works of God? In other words, how can we do exploits? And he answered, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one whom he has sent. So salvation centers on believing in and trusting the Messiah. And then when we have a relationship with him, we will be able to accomplish his works, his deeds, his exploits. All of that will follow. Amen. Well, I pray that God will move in his mercy mightily and dramatically in your life and show his goodness to you this week. I also pray for anybody who is sick or hurting. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, we believe for anyone who's struggling to cope right now to be helped, delivered, and healed. I know what it means to have pain and perplexities, but the Lord wants to become a reality, a guiding and a healing force in our lives. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you his shalom, his peace. May God also fill you with a gift of discernment because the days are growing darker. And we all need the illumination of his spirit upon our paths and life's choices. In the meantime, we invite you to continue to find lots more at our website, exploits.tv, where we report on healing and end-time events relating to the church and the nation of Israel. At our website and also at our Jerusalem Channel YouTube site, you'll find a library of videos 24-7 and we invite you to sign up for our weekly email called Exploits, based upon Daniel 11.32, which declares that people who know their God, you see, that's the key to know God. We will be strong, not weak, and then we'll accomplish exploits. We'll do the works of the Lord in the remaining time before his imminent return. Please feel free to share your thoughts with me on social media. Or you can watch us on your phones or tablets through our free Jerusalem Channel mobile app. And please explore my in-depth articles, essays, and commentary at my Substack website. Today, I'll leave you with 1 Thessalonians 5.5. You are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Amen. Well, until next time, always contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem, I'm Christine Darg. Shalom and Maranatha. 
fast-changing developments in Israel in the Middle East keep us busy interpreting the spiritual significance of today's headlines. The Jerusalem Channel is taking advantage of the Substack website to post developments that you need to know about. Substack is a new kind of internet outlet for in-depth reporting and analysis that's completely uncensored and allows me to share insightful articles at all times of day and night. This is Christian journalism as it should be. We invite you to check out my Substack pages and find an understanding of Israel and Bible prophecy from my perspective. Just go to christinedarg.substack.com and be a part of our community. You'll also find an archive of all my articles. That's christinedarg.substack.com. Let's share what God is doing in these last days together.